to the Clan McKenzie podcast. Glad to have you with us again for McKenzie Monday. This week we've got Andrew McKenzie who's joined us and we're going to be talking about his book May We be Britons. It's perhaps the greatest Clan Mackenzie history book out there. It's certainly available right now from the Clan Mackenzie Society of Scotland and the UK's website in their online shop. You can find it there. Paperback, hardback, signed copies, they're out there for you. If you've been looking for it, they ship internationally and this can be yours. Hope you listen and enjoy this interview with Andrew and we've got some other things to look forward to. Stay tuned to the end and we'll talk about those things next. Please enjoy our interview today. Andrew McKenzie, may we be Britons. Welcome to the Clan McKenzie podcast. We're glad this week to have with us Andrew McKenzie. He's a regular here. Glad to have you back with us, Andrew. We're going to talk about your book. Thank you. Yep, always, always fun to talk to you, Jared. Thanks very much for inviting me. All right. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, um, recently I posted on an Instagram page a picture of your book with a fascinating title, May We Be Britons, and got some good feedback about it. And I think the way we could talk about your book and why people should have it in their libraries is just to first talk about you and sort of your history. Who Who is Andrew McKenzie and why did you get into the or get to the point where you wanted to actually write a book about this family? I, I suppose initially the idea came to me because I, I read history at, at Cambridge. That was my, my degree. And as part of my degree course, my dissertation was on the last Lord Seaforth, um, the end of the, the 18th century. And, and it was really about how how he and his family became integrated into into the British state system, having been Jacobites and lost their lands, their political power during the early part of the 18th century, they managed to reintegrate themselves and become powerful members of the British establishment by the time he died in 1815. So that, that was my my university dissertation. Then about 10, 15 years later, my brother and I did a lot of research. Once um, the all the sort of family um, documents, birth certificates and everything went onto the internet, um, it was it became easier for us to research our own family line. So we we then got very heavily into finding out about our own direct ancestors. And just the more I found out about the Mackenzies in general, because researching my my family meant looking at the whole clan in a much wider 
sense, it became apparent to me that a lot of what I'd written about the last Lord Seaforth was actually quite relevant to the Mackenzies in general. So I I wrote, I, I then decided that I got such a lot of information and I had quite a different perspective from the traditional one that had always been told that I thought it would be worth me writing a general history of the clan in general. And that, that just sort of widened out into sort of making a very comprehensive history of the clan because nothing really had been done since Alexander Mackenzie in the 1890s wrote his, his history. But that's largely a, a genealogical account rather than a, a more historical general history. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. More yeah. of a general, general history. That's something that I noticed that some of the feedback that I've gotten about your book has been is that it's it's more than just the genealogical Mackenzie story, but it's almost the Scottish history book as well. It, yeah, it is, because I, I, the, I suppose the old tradition of the Mackenzies largely was attached to the, the Bronze's prophecy, Seafall's Doom which gave a picture of the family as sort of being very powerful and successful up until the time of the Jacobite rising. And then after that, they were destroyed and just sort of went into decline and faded into nothing. But that, that's, to my, to my view, that, that's not true at all. Like they continued their power. And what I wanted to emphasise was the the continued importance of the Mackenzies as part of British history and playing a very powerful part right right up to the, the 20th century with I mean people obvious example like the Canadian explorer Sir Alexander Mackenzie, um, the part in the Industrial Revolution, um, their entire part in the Scottish Enlightenment. So part of, I mean, what the areas that I'd studied as a historian, which were, have always, historians have always highlighted as what, what were important to British history in the 18th and the 19th centuries, it, it was clear to me that the Mackenzies played a very, very important part in all of that. So I, I was quite keen to, to emphasize that. It's a it's an interesting title as well, and you kind of touched on it briefly, but I'd kind of like you to explain a little bit more. Yes, it was I, I it's quite difficult to it took me a long time to think of a title rather than just a history of the Mackenzies, which I be rather boring. I I, yeah. I sort of came across that quote. It's it was the first Earl of Cromarty who who made that that quote um, because he was he was one of the foremost architects of the the union of Scotland and, and England, which of course, interestingly, is now quite current in, in political debate now because we, we've had a referendum um, which was declined to, to vote for independence and we're, we're now threatened with another referendum again, whether that, that will happen remains to be seen but it's very high high up in current political 
debate in, in British and particularly Scottish politics at the moment. And, and back in 1704, it was right at the top of the political agenda in, in England and Scotland. And, and a, a very powerful Mackenzie, the first Earl of Cromarty, who is, of course, the, the ancestor of the current Mackenzie chief, John Earl of Cromarty, um, one of the most interesting, to my mind, charismatic Mackenzies in the whole of Mackenzie history. He played a very, very significant role in backing the union and was, was important in bringing it about. So, and he, he, he made this statement, may we be Britons, um, I can't remember the entire quote off, offhand, but it's sort of down with the idea of the, the Scots as being, being different, but he, he certainly regarded the Scots as, as North Britons and equal players in the, in the British state. Have you gotten much pushback? What what they certainly um, carried on carried on being. They became very very significant players in in British in British history. Have you gotten much much pushback for that kind of a title, that kind of thinking? I guess. Sorry, I missed, I missed that. Uh, just have you gotten much pushback about that title? Um, no, funny enough, I I. I mean, I, I suspected it might be slightly controversial because of the sort of people who have opinions about the union. And, and actually, history is used today in the, in the political debate. They, a lot of people like to portray the Jacobites as proto-Scottish independence. But I, I think that history is a lot more complicated than, than that. And... Um, I, funny enough, I haven't actually. I, I, I think most most Scottish and Highland Scots, I've Mackenzies, I've I've encountered, uh, don't have a, a. I mean, they they've got quite a sophisticated view of of politics. I, so I I I I think my my encounters with Mackenzies when it comes to politics has been quite. Quite sophisticated and, and reasonable. I, there, there hasn't been the tribal sort of aggressive <laughs> politics that you often hear about. So maybe that's, that's something. It's a nice comment on Mackenzie's in general, but I haven't, I haven't found sort of wildly extreme views in in, in either side. I, I, I'm glad to say. That's nice. I'm glad to hear that. Hey, we'll see if we can get something stirred up for you. That way, maybe you get some get some good emails about it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, we don't want to stir anything up here. Uh, but something I something else, I guess, I was kind of wondering with all the different. You mentioned that there's been, it's been a while since there was a major history book. Um, is there anything in this book that is maybe controversial in the way that it presents McKenzie history as opposed to? something that's already been done. I know you're talking about sort of a, uh, the more sophisticated nature of the Mackenzie clan as opposed to maybe how it's been presented in the past, but is there anything else that might seem a little different than other histories? Um, I, well, I hope I've tried to, I've tried to incorporate the, the other side of it too, because I, 
while I, I'm keen to show that, that the Mackenzies were significant in, in the union, I, I also emphasize that they were significant Jacobites and they were, they were at heart Jacobites. So although the, a lot of the leading clan members in the 18th century took a very practical, pragmatic approach and ended up backing the government for the simple reason that they'd been through misery in the 17th century and gone through devastation due to the civil war. And they, they wanted peace. They wanted what was good for their clansmen, which was stability. So for practical reasons, they, they, they did end up backing the government. But that's not to say that they didn't have a a very romantic sympathy for the, the old royal house of Stuart, and I'm not I'm not in any way dismissive of the more romantic values of, of Mackenzie history, the, the the legends and the, the romantic attachment to the the beautiful scenery, the picturesque part of the country they they came from, and of course that all. That all comes back in the in the 19th century when the Mackenzies played an important part in the the new picture of, of Scotland as this sort of wildly romantic country where people were loyal to an old cause. And okay, a lot of that is fictional, but at the same time, it's still a crucial part of Scottish identity. And I, I think that's also something that the Mackenzies could be proud of, that they, they played a part in that, that rather romantic, picturesque identity that, that is so important to, to Scotland today. So I, I think there are two sides to the Mackenzies, and I, I'd like to say that we, we should be proud of, of both. Yeah, I think so too. I, I uh, poured myself a claret the other day and I was thinking about you and what you'd said about the Mackenzies <laughs> in, the, in the past and their sophistication. So uh, as opposed to just the whiskey drinking Highlanders, we've got the sophisticated, very wise uh, Mackenzies. Um, what I wanted to ask you as well, I, I noticed that on your website, you mentioned that there's a number of different um, sort of unseen pictures, um, sort of you reached out and found a lot of documentation that hadn't been shared a lot in the past, but I thought it was great on your, on your website um, about the McKenzie book here. You mentioned that there are 154 color illustrations. That's a lot of, that's a lot of pictures. Most of these history books have no pictures in them. Yes. I, I suppose I, well, my, my job is I'm a paintings specialist. That's my, my day job is is as a, a specialist in old master paintings, which is European, largely 17th and 18th century paintings. So that sort of coincides to a great deal with my my interest in the family too. So I'm I'm particularly aware of of the visual side of of the family's history, and I think I've always had a I, I think my memory has always been visual. When I was revising for exams, I would picture the essays that I'd written and where the argument was on the page. I, I'm, I think I'm a very visual person and I just that's my own 
by, by my own nature, I was very keen to, to stress that. And I actually, funny enough, I grew up as a child, there was a the series of history books um, called The Life and Times, which were, there, there was one book on pretty much every British monarch and they were incredibly well illustrated. And there was a sort of two or three illustrations on every page of the text. And I think it's, I, I, found, I found it easier to visualize the history by, by picturing how everything looked at the time. And so I, so I thought it was very important that people have a visual idea of of history and I, I think it's easier to read a book when you've got it broken up with pictures as well and just that 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 was probably the reason I I know publishers probably are, are disinclined to have too many illustrations because of the cost but I I don't know I I bore that I bore that cost myself just because I was so keen to to get it out there and for everybody to see it to share to share all the wonderful images that I I'd found. Was there any that you were especially uh, proud of having presented that maybe hadn't been seen before in the book? Um, I suppose just just to cover the whole the whole period of of. The history. So, I mean, I admittedly, and it doesn't really go into the 20th century, but I, I suppose my, my reasoning for that is that the clan system, in the old sense, in the true sense of a clan, really only carried on until the 19th century. But by the, by the end of the 19th century, the, the clan was so vast and dispersed um you can't really think of it in the same way as as a clan now that it, it was then i mean yes granted we we have a clan society and there are people with shared interests all over the world but they're not they're not following a chief politically in the same way that they did up until the even into the early 19th century so that was really why i had that cut off. Um, but I also went back right right until the early foundations of, of the family. So I particularly with the help of my brother Kevin, who was very interested in the very early genealogy of the family, and he uncovered quite some interesting stuff. There, there was a there was a, a big debate. Um, which actually was revived by Alan Mackenzie in Canada, who was the, the head of the clan society, the, the commissioner in, in Canada, who sadly died a, a couple of years ago. But he was very keen on reviving the debate about the Fitzgerald origins of the clan, which had been dismissed largely as as a myth. Um, oh, come on. Come up. on, Andrew. No, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, Alan was probably the first person to revive that and sort of argued that there, there might actually be a reason for, for this, for, for some strong 
historical evidence. And um, Kevin and I, and particularly Kevin, would keen and unearth some interesting documentation. Um, again, going back to my sort of my job as an art historian, it was very obvious to me that the, the stag's head symbol is very much associated with the story of St Eustace and uh, without going into too much detail that sort of was quite a crucial factor in 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 showing that the, the argument for the Fitzgerald descent because of the relationship with with the Eustace name and with the Crusades and um, so I think I think we we did make a very good argument that, that there was a reason for not that they, this, this idea wasn't just made up completely out of the blue. Um, and actually, the Mackenzies had perfectly um, sufficient reason to be proud of their Scottish royal descent. So why make up a descent from some some Norman Irish? sort of unheard of nobody when actually they descended from the Scottish royal house in the direct male line. So that it there was no there was no pretense to make up a fictitious, prestigious descent from the Fitzgeralds on, on the contrary. That clearly I think the reason was that, that there was a genuine and important descent, which is where they got their coat of arms. And where they got their their main land holdings from, that was the reason why they they stressed that that ancestry. Yeah, and you know, I, you hit on some parts in there that I've thought about as well as I was kind of studying and trying to learn about that painting and learning about the origins of the Mackenzies and what you brought out about this coming from an Irish family. It, it's it's kind of surprising to me that there's not more there wasn't more pushback, I guess, to that idea, anyways. I, as as you're looking through different people's uh, reports and they talk about this history, um, I was kind of surprised by that. I guess so. It's interesting yeah, to hear well, you say that. There was, to be honest, I I mean I did I spoke to I won't mention any names, but there were there were people who I I mean when Kevin and I came up with our our research, we we presented it with a number of people, and they there was pushback, to be to be honest, um, which I think is sort of inevitable because they some of these people have written stuff themselves, so it, it's sort of inevitably they're going to be embarrassed that why that they didn't see this themselves and that they'd written. Contrary things. I, I I gave them the opportunity of, of sort of recognizing that there's there's more to it than that. And I, one one person did, and I I was able to sort of give them the opportunity to to, to accept it and quoted that person. And um, but yeah, I I mean one one person in particular was was dismissive. Um, another was, I, let's say, not entirely convinced, but not entirely aggressive in his disagreements. Um, but 
I, I haven't since, since the book was actually published. I, I haven't seen any any serious pushback at all, to be honest. I well, find that the reviews, the reviews of it, really concentrated on the, the later part of the book. In any case, because I suppose the the early bit is is probably not part of the the main thrust of the the thesis, which is part that the Mackenzies the important part the Mackenzies played in British history. That that was the main the main point of the book. Um, the 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 bit on the origins was just a sort of additional appendix, as it as it were. Yeah. Well, and two, you give a lot of references. I mean, so it's not like you're just you're not just figuring this stuff out, presenting it as your your thesis without anything to back it up. You you present present a lot of sources as to where you get your information from. So it's hard to hard to argue when you get certain details. Yeah, I think that the difficulty was that there was an awful lot of original documentation which supported our argument the, the risk was to bore people by going into enormous academic detail to support the argument though so there was a difficult balance to make to make it readable and to to sort of make make the argument convincing without dragging people down into boring <laughs> detail yeah. That, that's the difficult balance to make. I, I suppose that the, if, if you were writing a, a, a more academic article for a historical journal, then you, you could do that more easily. Yeah, but not like you said, not necessary, not necessary for, for common people. But again, it's laid out very, very academically. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't dumb it down for sure. It's laid out very simply but very professionally, very specifically with references. And I think that's good enough for people to be able to see and make their own decisions, what they think is true. And yeah. Yeah. So you've got a lot of pages in the book, 392 pages. So it's a lot of work. And I mean, you were just talking before we started the podcast. Um, I mentioned that I'm going to be heading to um, Mount Vernon and, you know, in America, you've got 300, roughly 300 years of history we look back on sort of the layout of the United States, but you're going back 700 years of history of the Mackenzies. Where do you start? Well, it gets, I suppose that the easier part of when you're, when you're dealing with the early history, there's less documentation. So in some ways, it's sort of easier to cover the early period because you've got less less original sources. The, it, later on, clearly there is vast amounts of material, and I suppose my I suppose the reason why I like the 17th and the 18th century is because you've got a lot of documentation, but not too much, so it becomes completely impossible to to cope with. I, I, I suppose that's why I, my, my own personal judgment is that that's the more interesting period for me, but I, that's just a matter of personal preference. Other people might prefer the earlier period because there's more potential for subjective judgment because you can make what you like of, of a smaller amount of material and then 
equally later on in the sort of 19th and the 20th century, there's so much material. Again, you can sort of choose choose what you want to do. So maybe there's more chance for subjective judgment there. I suppose to me that when you have a, a relatively less amount of material, you're, I see it as a more sort of accurate type of history, if that makes makes sense, because you're you're sort of dealing with enough material to make a judgment, but not so much that it's it's sort of anybody's subjective view as, as to how to interpret it. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned your brother, uh, Kevin, who did some of the research for you. What was what was his involvement? Well, we, I think, well, as children, we always share, share the love of family history. And I, my, I found my first sort of holiday, apart from my parents, was when Kevin and I went up to to the Highlands as a teenage as teenagers, and um, we both we both visited Castle Loud. I mean, in those days, it was you'd have to write letters and sort of go to a sort of local phone box to to sort of fix up an appointment. But we managed to sort of go and see John Cromarty's late father, the last last of the Cromarty, and he very kindly showed us around the castle. And he, in fact, he'd written a history himself. I shouldn't be dismissive of, of that. He wrote, a, it wasn't a history of the Mackenzies, but it was it was called a Highland history. It was basically a history of Rossshire. And, and of course, a lot of that was about the Mackenzies. Um, so he was very, very interested in, in family history. And, and it was great to be shown around Castle Loud as, as teenagers by someone who was so, so absolutely fanatically interested in, in, in the history of the place. So that was great. And then we traveled across to the West Coast and went to Aileen Donnan. And, and ever since then, we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time up in, up in the Highlands. And, and then, as I said, once, once the internet put most of the family records on, online, um, it was the two of us that, that between us, we researched our own family. So we've been sort of passionately delving into every single side of our, our family that we can. In fact, Kevin's very, Kevin's very keen on researching my grandmother's side of the family too, who have a very interesting Welsh ancestry, which goes back to um, Francis Drake's family, um, to Thomas Cromwell, who in this country um, is is actually getting better known because of um, the television series about him. Um, but um, yeah, so Kevin's done an awful lot of research, and, and we've got all sorts of interesting family links. Sort of, we have a very Dickensian colour in in our nineteenth century ancestors when our both, both my grandfather and my, my grandmother's family were in the East End um, in the sort of area where Jack the Ripper was active. Um, my grandmother's grandfather was in the Marshalsea at the same time that Dickens's uh, father was there. So that his sort of family story is very, 
very like the story of Little Dollar Dorrit. So there's, and then we've got another family member on my grandmother's side who was um, an Irish Jacobite who was imprisoned. And his life story follows very much the story of the Count of Monte Cristo. And he was actually imprisoned in an island off the south coast of France in exactly the same cell that the man in the iron mask was in. So we've got we've got plenty of colour on, on our non-McKenzie family too, which Kevin and I are both both absolutely love researching. Wow, that's uh that's pretty fascinating stuff there. The Count of Monte Cristo to the Jack the Ripper, amazing stuff. Yeah, I was gonna. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because I know we talked about the book. I've never really talked about your brother, so it was fascinating. Give him some credit here too. Um, he, he does get credit there on the cover of the book as being a, a co-researcher with you. And you know, as I was just talking with uh, Rosemary Mackenzie, who's the new editor for the Clan Mackenzie Society of Scotland and the UK's magazine, and we were just noting that you know a lot of Scottish history that we've looked into hasn't been digitized and it's not always available online um, how much of the research that you guys did did you have to actually go to physical places and look for documents and and things uh, like that quite, quite a bit there's there's a lot in edinburgh which um i mean that my my original dissertation on the last lord c4 that was done largely in the um in register house in in edinburgh the c4 papers for that period are, are up in Edinburgh. So I spent I spent a great summer up in Edinburgh. I managed to get a grant to do my research. And I was up there with friends of mine who were being students taking part in the Edinburgh Festival. So that was that's probably one of the most enjoyable periods of my life where I was delving into Mackenzie family history of Register House during the daytime and then seeing my friends perform at the Edinburgh Festival in the evening. And, and Edinburgh is a great city, which I love. Um, but then I went back when I was doing the book. Um, there are an awful lot of papers which I'd come across, um, largely because I was researching a guy called Dr. James Mackenzie, who was crucial to me because he, he was living in Aston in, on the outskirts of Birmingham, which is where my my great, 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 whatever grandfather ended up in the early 19th century. And um, it struck me as a bit of a coincidence that he was in Aston and Dr. James Mackenzie was living in Aston Hall because he married uh, Elizabeth Holt, who was the daughter of the owner of Aston Hall. So I spent an awful lot of time looking into his, his letters to the family lawyer, which were all in the National Library in Edinburgh. And, and it, it turned out that he was indeed, um, he was the, the, both the great nephew of my 17th century ancestor and through his mother, a nephew of, of another, another ancestor. So there clearly was, that was probably the reason why why we moved to Birmingham. Um, but because of that, that, that led me on to find out the vast number of letters written by the family to the, to the 
the Mackenzies of Delvin, who were the family lawyers from the end of the 17th right up until the end of the 18th century. So there's sort of a hundred years of really sort of first class research material, which is both personal and legal and political. It sort of covers everything that a historian could possibly be interested in because they, they, were, they were writing to each other as friends and family members, but they were also talking about politics, they were talking about their legal positions and, and attitudes. Um, so, I mean, to me, that was an absolute gold mine, and there is an enormous amount of material. I, well, in some ways, I regret not living in Edinburgh because if I were living there, I'd probably be spending every every spare moment just pouring through these these letters, um, which I must say, are a really enjoyable thing to do. It takes a bit of time to get used to, firstly, their handwriting, and then to sort of work out who they're talking about. But once you sort of pour through them and you get used to what they're referring to, you get behind their mindset. You can sort of quite quickly get into the, the sort of sense of what matters to them and what 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 they're talking about. And um, I, yeah, I must say that that to me was probably one of the, the most enjoyable things about, about researching Mackenzie history. And they were all nice people too. That that was, I think, interesting. There were no, there was nobody nasty, and you, they were people you could really relate to. They, despite the fact that they had, some of them had quite strong, different political opinions, but that didn't stop them being friendly family members who supported each other, and they felt. They felt their pain if they were on the wrong side and that that really came across and you, I, I really felt myself relating to these these people in a very warm way yeah i mean i guess it demonstrates that because we see that in, the, in our in our country i'm sure you see it in your country where politics seems to divide people maybe too much um there's not enough opportunity for people to share both sides they're not willing to listen maybe but you can actually get along <laughs> you can still get along and have different perspectives it's possible and obviously as you demonstrated it actually was the case with them absolutely i, th I think the, the mackenzies are a very good lesson in that you you can go along there's no need to sort of have these sort of totally monumental divisions just because you disagree politically yeah were they were the the places in edinburgh were they okay with you making copies of the documents or what's their make you can you can make some copies but that gets a bit expensive but that i think there's a limit because of copyright rules there's there's a limit to how much you can copy so i i was just i was taking notes really i was up there with my my pencil and paper making huge notes i've got sort of vast numbers of full scap sheets of paper under my bed gathering dust now piling <laughs> um, up um, that, that that's how it was done that's amazing did you so i assume then if you have all that still you still have your dissertation 
your original dissertation that you wrote long sorry, ago? I, I just, I'm sorry. So I assume since you have all those documents, you probably still have your original dissertation from university that you wrote. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I've, I've kept it all. I'm a bit of a hoarder in that respect. So I've still got all my notes and everything, yes. Uh, that's, that's awesome. You should probably, um, if you can sometime, take a picture of that. Just take a picture of the, of the however you have it laid out and share that with me. I'd like to see that. Okay. <laughs> that's, see, that, that in itself is going to be history someday, right? You, have you thought about that? Sorry, I, it's a bad line. I can't hear very well. I just said, have you thought about the fact that someday that's going to be part of Mackenzie history? I guess so. I don't know who, who'd want to house it, but I, mean, that's the problem. I think that's sort of, there's been sort of talk about having a Mackenzie room in Inverness. Um, in the castle in the museum there and there's sort of talk about doing something in Castle Loud but the trouble is these things are expensive to house so and there's a certain amount in the um, the library in, in Inverness um, but I so far there have been various talks but no one's really been in a position to to house it that's the problem and then you need someone to look after it all and all this all this is expensive yep that's true that's very true but i guess that's the that's something that people have to look at down the road and we just do the best we can as far as preserving what we can so is there anything else in this book or about this book that you thought would be nice to share with people that maybe aren't familiar or maybe they're thinking about picking this up finally. Um, is there anything that you want to highlight that you think is particularly going to mention is that my brother and I uh, are working on an offshoot of, of this. Um, we, we're, we're writing another book together. Um, there's, there's a portrait which is of William, the fifth Earl, and second Jacobite Marquis of Seaforth, the clan chief in the first half of the 18th century, who was a bit of a Jacobite hero, actually. He, um, he was obviously, um, he, he got quite a lot of attention recently because of the tercentenary of the Battle of Blenshield, because he was a major player in that. Um, but he, there's a portrait, again, like sort of going back to my my background as, as an art historian, there's, there's a portrait of him in Fortrose Town Hall, and it shows him with this, this rather exotic animal, which is actually a kawati, a kawati right. mundi, yeah, which is a South, South American rodent, and um, happened to be lucky enough to find a letter um, from, from William, the, the fifth earl's, um, cousin, Dr. George Mackenzie, um, he writes to Hans Sloan, who was the man who effectively founded the, the British Museum. Um, so hence the, the letters in, in, the British, in the British Library now. Um, and Dr. George writes about this animal because he got to keep it. 
he actually dissected it and sent the skin to Hans Sloan. Um, but he, one of the amazing things that he mentions is that it was on Captain Green's ship. And Captain Green's ship turns out to be uh, quite a famous ship called the Worcester, which was part of a, a, a really dramatic, scandalous piracy trial in just before the Union. So again, it, it goes back to this sort of important part of Scotland's history when the, the debate between the English and the Scots, whether there should be a union or not, was crucial. And in fact, this, this trial was a massive fight between the English and the Scots, and people took sides. Um, Captain Green ended up being hanged for piracy, um, because, largely because he was so unpopular with the Scots who resented the English taking Scottish trade. Um, it turned out that he, he wasn't actually guilty of the particular um, crime in question, but um, and there are, there are all sorts of debates about whether he was guilty for piracy in general, but as a result of that, we've, we've managed to trace this, not only William's life story, which is quite colorful because he's quite a glamorous, rather heroic actually Jacobite. Um, and again, sort of part of this sort of hybrid sophisticated combination of romantic Highland Scots, but also part of a sophisticated um, European culture because he, he was educated at the French court when he went into to exile. The family were friends of the poet Alexander Pope. They were very close, who again was sort of part of sophisticated British culture at the time. Um, and then he was a sort of interesting military figure. So there's, there's that side of it. But we've also managed to trace the animal's life story, which sort of takes us from the jungle in, in the Amazon to the, the Indian Ocean, where, where the, the ship was, was actually captured by, by pirates and, and then ended up in, in Scotland. And then the paintings actually of him with the Coatum Mundi is actually um, shows the, the chateau of Saint-Germain in the background when, when he was in, in exile. So, so both William and, and his pet, Goati Mundi, had this extraordinary life story. And, and it, it sort of adds, adds a bit of colour to the detective story surrounding Captain Green's guilt as well. So I, I think it's, it's just quite a colourful and exciting story that we're, 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 we're pretty much finished writing now. So that, that's our next book. So we can expect that soon, huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, great. Where can we, where can people find May We Be Britons? Um, the, 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 the main source is through the Plan McKenzie Society of Scotland and the UK. If you go to the their website, then then you can you can buy it online there. And you can, I mean, the two other places you can buy it in the Gerloch Museum. Um, they they have a a few copies. If anyone's up there, you can physically 
buy in there and and the, the Canadian clan society have a have a number of copies but by far the easiest way is is just to buy it online in the in the shop of the clan Mackenzie Society of Scotland in the UK yeah I think on the on the clan's website the society's website of Scotland in the UK they actually have autograph copies as well yeah yeah you can buy paperback copies hardback copies and, and signed copies Great. Andrew, thank you very much for your time. And we look forward to uh, your next book along with your brother, Kevin. Great. Pleasure. Nice, nice to speak to you, Jared. Thank you very much. What a great episode. It's so nice to have Andrew McKenzie with us this week and talk about the book, May We Be Britons. Again, we encourage you to, to go out and find this book. There's a few different places, but specifically we want to recommend you check out the Clan McKenzie Society of Scotland and the UK's website. You can Google it, find the online shop, and they ship internationally. So if you're somewhere in Germany or you're in Canada and you want to copy of this book, the Society can get it to you as soon as we can. Readily available. Thanks again to Andrew. What an awesome publication. And uh, next week... Tune in, Ian McKenzie. He is the membership director of the Clan Society of Scotland in the UK. Look forward to getting a chance to get to know him and his role, what is involved, and all the effort he puts forth, as well as his history and his interest in the Clan McKenzie Society. Tune in next week, McKenzie Monday. Thanks again for listening. And please, if you can, show your support. Give us a rating. Give us a review. That helps us. It helps us be found on the different uh, different platforms where our episodes are found, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be listening. If you can, give us a review, and uh, hopefully a positive review. And we look forward to that. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Okay.